On this episode of the Popcorn Diet, we're living our life a quarter mile at a time, but never turning our back on family. That's right. We're talking F9 and the entire fast saga. Get your popcorn ready. No one outruns their past. And mine just caught up to me. Been a long time, down, Little brother. My brother is about to hurt a lot of people. Brother against brother. This should be interesting. If we don't go out, we go out together. all you good movie buddies to the popcorn diet a podcast for those who live on a steady diet of movie theater popcorn and other delicious movie snacks as always my name is rick williamson your very best good movie buddy and joining us as usual is our other good movie buddy the canadian machine mr david melhorn david you can drink anything you want as long as it's a corona how you doing well first and foremost i'm hyped the Suns going to the the NBA Finals. We're, we're recording this after the victory. Both of us got our Suns gear on. First time since '93 when we were both seven years old. So it's, it's been a minute. Only third time ever. So can't not mention the Suns no. and the excitement around that. So as a podcast b- born out of Arizona, as an independent Arizona film podcast. We got to give shouts out to Rally the Valley, the Phoenix Suns. I I am both incredibly excited and yet as an Arizona sports fan, have entirely too much trauma to be not completely comfortable. Uh, but I'm very excited. So, yes, at the, at the risk of turning this into an entire Phoenix Suns slash Patrick Beverly's piece of trash podcast. Very hyped for that. Several things to be hyped about that we're not, we can't devote an entire podcast episode to. You just got to go to Disneyland and experience Avengers Campus. I did. What was that like? Give us like a 30 second blurb. You got the, you got the Iron Man gauntlet. I see. I do. I do. And, and, and first and foremost, the, the trip was to celebrate my uh, middle son's birthday, third birthday. So we, We've kind of made a tradition of going to Disneyland right before we have to start paying for them, there you go. Uh, which is when they turn three. So <laughs> uh, enjoyed the benefit of limited capacity, although it felt like we were getting closer to to full capacity. Uh, but we had a, a fantastic time. Avengers Campus is is very cool. It's I don't know what I had in my mind, but right now I think it's smaller than I expected. But at the same time, mm. very cool. Uh, the the live action stunt shows that they do are, are, are very nice. Um, enjoyed them a lot. My, as uh, James who was celebrating his birthday there would say he really enjoyed the bad guys and constantly yes. asked to go back and see the bad guys and would complain when the bad guys weren't out. So <laughs> uh, he had a phenomenal time. Um, the went to the Pim test kitchen, got what, some lunch. What'd you so, eat? I did not get the hundred dollar. Um, That's okay. Meal. Uh, my kid did a kids' meal that was a PB and J sandwich, which was kind of cool. You got to make your own PB and J, and then they had some 
funky stuff. We did one of the ginormous pretzels mm. uh, that we shared. And uh, so, yeah, it was it was a good time. So I did not do the chicken sandwich just because we had chicken sandwich the night before. That's OK. Um, but there's a lot of really cool little things all around campus uh, within there. Um, you know, I think with Disneyland, not that this is a Disneyland podcast, but obviously the ties to film. I think with each area that they redo within Disneyland, whether it's California or, or the main Disneyland, everything else just feels a little less, <laughs> feels a little dingy. You know, it's like sure. when you get a shiny new toy, suddenly the old toy doesn't look as nice. Uh, but it's it makes Cal- Goofy's it makes Goofy's Sky School look like real garbage. Yeah. <laughs> Funny enough, that was one of my oldest son's Cameron's favorite ride because mom screamed on it. There you so go. They had a good time there. But no, it's it. I mean, it's just so well done. I'm very um, jealous. It's the live shows they do just kind of in the middle of where people walk. So it's not the most well planned out thing to me. Um, but I listen with Disneyland, that's the big problem is there's a lack of space. And so yeah. I can't really knock it too much, but it does just create a giant log jam in, in one of the main thoroughfares of, of walking around that area. So that's kind of a problem, but I think with it becoming something that people have seen and, and that it won't get as crowded because Pim test kitchen was incredibly popular and it, looks out on where they do most of the shows mm-hmm. and that kind of stuff. And web slingers is also right there in that same area. So it's kind of just a log jam of a lot of stuff. And so, sure. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, it was a great time. Really enjoyed it. Excited. Uh, you know, it's a piece of normality that's, uh, that's back. Absolutely. To go to someplace like Disney and, and with the, the new rules, uh, we, we didn't have to wear masks either. Uh, kids had to wear them indoors. But other than that, it was uh, mask free as well. So that was fun. Crazy, crazy to be going back to normal. Hope we, hopefully everybody's staying safe out there. Another thing going back to normal is getting to be able to go back to the movie theater. Last thing I want to mention that's non Fast and Furious related is is I took the opportunity to go see this movie on IMAX. It's awesome on IMAX. Um, but the main reason I wanted to go see it on IMAX is because there was a, I think it was a six minute Jurassic World Dominion preview and it was worth it, worth it for the price of it. It was awesome. Give me dinosaurs. I don't care if you get the opportunity. If, if, if your, uh, if your interests are matched the same Venn diagram as me, which is fast and furious and dinosaurs, take the opportunity to go see it in IMAX because it was just really, really cool. But we got to go to the movie theaters again. It's it's at the point now where we kind of just got to stop talking about it because movies are back, baby. Like we get to go to the theater regularly. You got to go to a Thursday night screening, which is your normal. That's your normal mode of operation. Um, and it's past great. your bedtime, but usually well it. past my bedtime. Um, and we got to see F9, a movie that has been delayed for more than a year. You know, originally this was slated to open in April of 2020 and it kept getting delayed and it kept getting delayed. And now it is here and it is insane and it is nonsense as to be expected from the Fast and Furious movies. But also, David, I think even before we get into our critique of the film, I think it's fair to say that it also contains some maybe some of the best 
you know, non-superhero. I mean, I don't know. That's debatable, but non-superhero action set pieces in any franchise right now. So what does the France Fast and Furious franchise mean to us? You know, one of one of the things that we tried to do, and I will take responsibility for this. We tried to do a, uh, a franchise refills of the Fast Saga, I guess, as it's being referred to now, back when the pandemic started under the assumption that it was only going to be a few months. And then I had a complete mental breakdown and we didn't podcast for a few months. <laughs> but but obviously this franchise means a lot to us. This is one of our favorite franchises. This is something that we quote all the time that we throw clips up of all the time when we're working in the office. Why do you think that is? Well, I think there's there's a number of factors, I think, for you and I that contribute to it. One, when it first came out, it was it was at a unique uh, at a specific time in our life. Uh, I think the first one would have come out when we were in high school. And so, mm-hmm. you know, when you're in high school, that's one of the few things that you can do that gets you out of the house and, and is fun to do, at least in here in Arizona, where it's hot half the year. And being outside is not as much of an option and you, you kind of look for those air conditioned places, but I think it was, uh, the beginning, you know, it was the street racing. It was things that translated to pop culture, whether it be the music or different things like that. And then I also feel like in the beginning, it was almost like kind of those good, bad movies because they didn't have incredible budgets in the first three movies I would say and and yet they kept making them and there was definitely quotable things and there was fun scenes with the the racing and things like that which I think especially probably you know especially high school boys I would say not that high school girls wouldn't but it's probably even more so high school boys you know when you first start driving you know most most guys want to go fast you know and want to and so things that play up to that adrenaline and, and that kind of stuff. Uh, but I think as it's evolved, I think continuity has helped it a lot in the sense that, you know, it's hard just like the Avengers like and Marvel Cinematic Universe. There's so much benefit to keeping characters around time mm-hmm. and time again for movies. And when you have an ensemble cast, when you keep them around and and as cliche as it may be with this series where it's you know, all about family and things like that. When you keep those things together, it's something that you feel an attachment to, whether it's good or bad. You know, it's the same reason some people watch certain TV shows for a decade and things like that. You even even when maybe the show's not as good as maybe it was in the beginning. And I think the thing with the Fast and Furious franchise is I would say it's gotten better with time overall, at least from the standpoint of, you know, I think they've obviously amped up the budget and so the stunts are better it looks better but that's also something that comes with a franchise evolving over 20 years and right just where technology is today versus the first one and you know i think that's true of any movie franchise that has evolved over that amount of time you know you look at like james bond like it's really hard to compare Daniel Craig, James Bond to Sean Connery, James Bond. Right. If you're going to judge it based off of special effects and things that they do, because 
you're not comparing apples to apples when there's been that much of a gap, or even if you were doing Pierce versus Sean Connery, which is probably a closer time gap between the two. But um, I think it's been fun to see the characters grow. I think there's almost like, like I said, it's not quite a good, bad movie franchise. Maybe some people would call it that, but it gets more and more absurd, almost like James Bond. I know we've, we've referred to it as like, the car version of James Bond or cars pretty, pretty much Bond now at this point. But I think you see the way it's uh, uh, evolved, the characters they've added, they've added the rock, they've added Jason Statham, heck Helen Mirren's been in. And it seems like they legitimately enjoy each other. Like they have the cliche saying on the actual movie about being family, but like the way they defend each other and the way all these characters talk and even defend the franchise and get mad at people who <laughs> diss the franchise <laughs> or people that aren't quite committed to the family. Like it's, it's not like any other movie franchise. Like it's, they're just, they're, they're rabid fans of their own work. <laughs> and it's a, it's a, it's a culture. It's yeah. well that, and that's the thing, right? Is that it was, it was a franchise that started with a, a hyper specific culture of street racing. Right. And it is a franchise that has grown to where, you know, people who or who were part of that culture and and, you know, fueled, no pun intended, fueled the success of the early franchise. People like you and me who had absolutely no, you know, dabbling in that culture at all. You know, I drove a Nissan Pathfinder in high school. So like there are no street racing at all, but it allowed for that fantasy of like, oh, this is what it's like on the streets. And then to have that franchise grow over the course of 20 years to where now these are characters that started as, you know, immature hoodlums and criminals and things like that. And now they're the heroes with family and kids. It's crazy how it's grown up like that. And I think that that's part of the longevity of it. You know, a mm -hmm. um, couple of fun facts just, you know, to to usher in F9. We're talking about 20 years between the two, between the start and the end. The Fast and the Furious came out summer 2001. F9 comes out summer of 2021. Here's another thing. You want to talk about formidable movie experiences. Our beloved Ocean's Eleven came out that year as well. Real, Really two films that I think shaped a lot of how we think tough guys should behave uh, uh, who are just like rabble rousers and who are, who are just meatheads and smooth, cool as hell criminals. Like we, <laughs> we got both ends of the, of the criminality that year. Right. Funny thing is that Soderbergh, our next episode is going to be on Soderbergh's newest heist movie, no sudden move which is coming out this upcoming weekend. So there's just some in really interesting parallels to me, David, about 20 years ago, Soderbergh movie being really uh, inspirational for us and really, you know, seeping into our conscious of, of, of what cool is. And then Fast and Furious doing the same thing. And 20 years is a long time. So I wrote down, not, not everything. I didn't document like every 20 year span in the history of film. But to put in context for the listeners, some other things in film that happened either over the course of 20 years or within 20 years. Just wanted to throw some stuff out there. 
right. The first one that came to my mind when I thought about this was that Spielberg, Steven Spielberg made Jaws in 1975. And then less than 20 years later, 18 years later, made Jurassic Park in 1993. And you just think about the the special effects and the filmmaking uh, technique and skill involved there. Like that happened in a 20 year span in Steven Spielberg's career. He also obviously won best director, best picture, 20 years, less than 20 years after creating the blockbuster. Pretty significant jump in time. Uh, The Disney, here's a couple of Disney ones. Disney went from the rescuers, the original rescuers in 1977 to Pixar's Toy Story in 1995. And then to build off of that, we went from Toy Story in 1995 to Inside Out in 2015. That's crazy to think about the, the span of time between those movies. You know, 1985 saw the first photorealistic, photorealistic CGI character in a movie. Young Sherlock Holmes, also a little bit of Spielberg there, where the stained glass window comes alive and attacks a guy. And then a little less than 20 years later, we have Gollum in Lord of the Rings, who is even now still maybe one of the most realistic CGI characters in all of film. We had four Batmans in a span of less than 20 years. We had, we went through Michael Keaton, Val Kilmer, George Clooney, uh, and we started with Christian Bale. Uh, we had three different Spider-Mans <laughs> all in 20 years, uh, in 20 year spans. And now in 20 year spans, we went from Dominic Toretto hijacking truck full of DVD players to Dominic Toretto world saving super driver. Well, and here's, here's my thing too. You know, we talk about people, you know, a lot of people get sick of the franchises and you know, the fact that there's not as much originality and that people always bank. But I also think like, you know, if you're willing, like, to commit to something like this, let's be honest, like this should not have been a movie franchise. Like, no, it's insane that back, it is. And it's insane that it is. And it's insane to look at where we got from. Like the first movie is about street rate. It's basically point break. We've talked about this before. It, it is point break. It is point break with, uh, with automobile racing. And we go to the second movie and it's, I don't, I don't know what you would call it, but it's, it doesn't even have Vin Diesel and it is it's I don't I actually. Yeah, it's 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 kind of a buddy cop, I guess. But uh-huh. they're not cops. Obviously, they're working for the cops. But it's like 48 hours mixed. Starsky with and and Hutch or something. I don't know. Yeah. Um, and then we go to Tokyo Drift that takes it even a completely different turn and doesn't have Paul Walker or Vin Diesel outside of the cameo at mm-hmm. the end. And, and that's basically three, a ja- that's a Japanese yakuza gangster. Tokyo Drift is dope, but that I love Tokyo Drift. That changes the game again. It's it's gangsters, you know. It's it's three movies that at the end of it, one you're wondering how did we get three movies out of this in general? Yeah. And then two, like if you would have asked most people after Tokyo Drift, are we going to get any more Fast and the Furious movies? Everybody would have said no. Like where are they going to go? It's not like we were left on a cliffhanger other than dom showing up 
But the funny thing is, is then you go to four and it doesn't even, it actually goes back in the timeline from, <laughs> from three. And so it's such a odd route that we've gotten here, but I think it is a testament to when actors and a director buy in and the people and a studio, obviously, you know, there's, there's some benefit to the studio that they're at, um, not necessarily having like a wealth of valuable properties um, at the time that this is something that, you know, Hey, we've got a big name in Vin Diesel at the time. Mm-hmm. We've got a good director in, in Justin Lin who wants to, you know, take this franchise on and, you know, maybe we'll, we'll roll the dice on it, but it's interesting to see how we got here when it's like, there's nothing that this should have been. And that's where I'm like, if actors want to be a part of a franchise and there's a director that has a vision, I think you can kind of navigate your way there. If everybody's committed, I think the problem is, is there's a lot of actors that don't like the idea of parting, being part of a franchise or don't want to commit to 20 years of playing a certain character and getting pigeonholed. And there's a lot of directors. There's just a lot of things that have to come together right, for a franchise to still be going at 20 years and for the majority of the key people to still be involved in it. And so I think that's something that makes this franchise super unique. Yeah, and there's, I mean, listen, there's something to be said for job security. You know, you, you, you're talking about a Hollywood film industrial complex that turns out superstars in a in a aggressive, aggressively fast manner. You know, we've only had. I mean, Robert Downey Jr. was still uh, un, unmarketable, un, unhirable. When the first Fast and Furious movie came out, nobody knew who Chris Evans was. Nobody knew who Chris Hemsworth was. These guys were nobodies, you know, and you have people. I mean, I don't have the 2001 in film pulled up in front of me now, but like I would I would argue to say that there are some Hollywood particularly isn't very kind to to female actors uh, who who age, you know, out of certain roles. You know, it's it's. It's better now, but it's notorious for like once you hit 30, you know, you're not playing romantic leads anymore. You're playing mom roles now. And so like credit where credit's due that people like Jordana Brewster and Michelle Rodriguez have job security with this and are able to play characters who grow and age with them. Like that's that's very rare and and pretty awesome, you know, despite the fact that the movies are ridiculous. Um, So, yeah, so at at the risk of getting into the non-spoiler we're, we're obviously going to talk non-spoilers you know until we until we say so we will give you a warning but your overall thoughts in the movie david you and i both saw this movie we traded text messages back and forth you had an entire disney trip to 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 soak in on it i would i would say that i was a little more high on it than you were and i think that it's not because we disagree about the facts of the matter. It's just that maybe I didn't care. I, I didn't let them impact me as much, but this movie is nonsense. Like this movie, I think is only trumped by fate of the furious in terms of nonsense. Yeah. It's so first and foremost, 
I got what I expected from this movie. So it's not like I was expecting some masterpiece. I mean, Vin Diesel, getting, Vin Diesel getting, basically thinks he's doing like Greek mythology here. <laughs> yeah, it's it's not that I felt like, hey, we're going to have some Oscar winning movie that is coming <laughs> suddenly out of the Fast franchise. Like I recognize the franchise that we're in. Sure. So I want to preface it with that. For me, though, the movie just takes on too much. Like, the concept of bringing in Dom's brother, I'm fine with that. Is it a little weird that it's taken nine movies for us to even have a mention that Dom has a brother? A little weird. Maybe. Like, as somebody, like, as somebody, as somebody who is about family and. There's never been like a mention. There's never been like sure. one of those random offhand comments where I don't want to talk about or don't you bring that up or whatever. Right. Um, never been a mention of it. Uh, I'm I'm fine with that. Like I did. That wasn't even my issue with it. It's just that there's so much that we decide to take on. There's so many leaps of faith that we do. Um, and all things that I expect from a ridiculous franchise, it's kind of like, James Bond, even though, you know, with Daniel Craig, we've gone a little bit to the more realistic. And I would say we upped like the storytelling and like the quality of James Bond movies mm -hmm. as far as like the actual movie making and, and storytelling of them versus the original ones. And I'm not here to start a fight over who's the best James Bond and all that kind of sure. stuff. Sure. That's another podcast. But I think most of us would agree there's a distinct turn that we took when Daniel Craig took over that franchise. And so, you know, I equate it to kind of the pre Daniel Craig franchises where like the Pierce Brosnan, where it's like every movie just tries to one up the previous one with ridiculousness and MacGuffins and different things like that. And so are you saying this is the die another day of fast and furious movies? <laughs> Your words, not mine. Would but, you go so uh, far? <laughs> I, I won't go quite that far. I won't. Uh, I won't go quite that far. Space but, lasers and diamond-faced bad guys. It it wouldn't. I'll put it this way. It wouldn't surprise me if those are in whatever the tenth one is called, because I would like to be able to predict what the tenth one will be called. But none of them correspond with each other. Fast, I don't know how fast they ten your seatbelts. I don't know. Yeah, there you go. I don't know how they pick the names for this, but without going on a further further random tangent i enjoyed the action i enjoyed most of the jokes and you know i think the cena entry into the franchise while there's things that i could nitpick at was fairly successful i mean it does do some of the cliche things that we'll talk about when we get in spoilers but like I'm okay with Cena being part of this franchise. Like I'm a, I'm a Cena fan. Sure. And, and so I'm okay with him joining and, and I don't know whether he'll be around it. I would assume he'll be around for the last two movies that we're supposed to be getting, but it's just so there's so much going on. And, and I think like we were talking about when we were exchanging texts, had it simplified things, even just by like 10%, I think it would have been more successful. Like, yeah. How do we, had we just reeled it in just a tiny bit, I think it would have, it could have been like up there with some of the best ones in this franchise. And instead, I think it's 
you know, in the bottom third of this franchise. Okay. Now, and the thing is, is like, I don't disagree with you. I think there's two movies worth of plot in this. Like there's at least there's two movies worth of plot in this movie. I remember. And, and again, I'm not, we're not going to lay it out now. We'll lay it out after we do spoiler warnings, but like, you know me, I like spoilers. So I read the Wikipedia page and even you and I talked about how reading that Wikipedia page, it felt like each paragraph was like, uh, and then, and then this happens, and then this happens, and they're tenuously tied together. And so I, I, I can't disagree with that. There is a lot going on in this movie. And yet, when I was sitting there watching it, I never felt particularly overwhelmed. I thought it did a pretty decent job of balancing everything. And, and again, if we, if we, and when we lay it all out, there are certain things that when you say it out loud, just are like, that's insane or that's stupid or that's ridiculous. Or why did they waste 10 minutes on this? How, why did they, how did they think that this would be a useful explanation for that? And yet I'm sitting there in a the theater and I'm like, okay, let's go. Oh, that's how that happened. All right, let's keep going. Like I, I never once, um, you know, I never once, and I'm not saying you had the same thought as this because you gave Mark Wahlberg's movie Infinite the lowest ever score on this on mm. this podcast. It's true. But when I watched Infinite, there were just times where I was like, what what the hell? Like, what does this mean? What is that about? Is Are they really doing this? What's going on? And and again, I'm not saying you're saying you're comparing these two movies. All I'm saying is the feeling that I got watching infinite a movie full of a bunch of nonsense that felt disconnected is nowhere near the feeling that I got watching F nine where I felt like comfortable with the journey all along the way. Um, And, and here would be my comment on that though. When you're on the ninth movie, (laughs) there shouldn't be any confusion. Like when you're on a first movie of a, what I assume was supposed to be a franchise, but I would be shocked if, (laughs) infinite gets a franchise like you can have a few more questions because we're just being introduced to this world we're nine movies in like i shouldn't have like (laughs) a whole lot of questions about things like there shouldn't be things dropped into the movie that i'm like oh hey it's cardi b (laughs) and (laughs) apparently there's a history with cardi b but we're not going to explain it now and we're not going to come back to it either so now Again, I will say one of the things that I think people both watching the movies and in Hollywood have enjoyed about these movies is that it seems like they have a lot of fun doing them based off of people wanting to be in the franchise. Like, listen, Helen unless Mirren, you're The Rock and, Helen, and Vin Diesel. Sure. Helen Mirren is not in this film because they were looking for some, you know, really dynamic Oscar worthy actress to play uh, a two-bit part in no, the movie she wanted to be there. she's in this because she wanted to be in there and, and she's in this one because she's like i better get to drive a damn car next time i show up exactly and so like when i hear stories like that that tells me i think it comes back to what you said they've built a culture around these like not to go too sportsy about it but like when players want to go to a team or to a franchise 
you've built a culture. There's something that's made people want to go when you go to high school, like when there's colleges where players want, or, you know, athletes want to go to because you've built a culture. And I think there's something to be said about that with the fast franchises, they've built a culture. So that's to be commended on its own, but at the same time, like, man, it, uh, (laughs) I still can't walk away from it. Not being like, this one got a little messy. We, we got a little messy. And I think some of it gets impacted by some of the fan service that happens in these movies. And I think, you know, we'll get into it. And this isn't a spoiler because he's in the, the trailers. But, you know, I think some of the Han stuff was influenced by outside pressure and even maybe inside pressure about how sure things had been handled in the franchise and there was this need to correct it and i think that kind of impacted kind of the quality of of some of the stuff in here which we'll talk about more possibly yeah and and maybe they'll get maybe they'll get do a little i mean this movie's gonna make a lot of money it's already made a lot of money especially coming out of a pandemic like it's already doing pretty darn well for itself one weekend in um but it does have the lowest rotten tomatoes score of the last six movies it does have the lowest cinema score since the original Mm -hmm. um and so like you know at some point we got to recognize um are there maybe are we maybe starting to see diminishing returns here you know nothing gold can stay pony boy and so there's a very real possibility that that's the case that being said i did want to before we get to our popcorn ratings i did want to rank the franchise entries here now A few days ago, I think it was earlier in the week, I tweeted out what my Fast and Furious rankings were for the entire franchise, including Hobbs and Shaw. And so I'll read those out. We won't get too deep into the deliberation here. Suffice it to say, David, yours are probably a little different, a smidge different. Um, Although I will say I I ranked F9 in in the bottom third as well. Uh but you also talked about, you know, them in terms of critical scores. You and I talked about this. You'll break it down critically for us here. But for me, I think the fourth film, Fast and Furious, is is the less of all of the films. And I think that's because it tries to be really, really serious. And yet it is the beginning of adding in ridiculousness. Like Dom basically has a sixth sense. He is basically a superpower when he approaches the crash scene. He can see, oh, how this how this played out, how this crash played out. And it's it's elements of trying to be a serious crime movie and introducing some of the more cartoony aspects that would be a mainstay of the franchise don't really gel for me. So I put it at 10. Nine, I put Fate of the Furious. And we can probably talk about, I mean, we, we could talk for hours about this stuff, but Fate of the Furious feels like it's a new franchise. And it felt like the original franchise ended with seven because that was the send off to Brian. And even though Paul Walker's character lives on in the franchise, he obviously hasn't been in it. And so this one kind of felt like a we went a little crazy. They're chasing submarines and things like that. Number eight, number eight, I put F9 for a lot of the same reasons. Number seven, I put Hobbs and Shaw, which I think knew that it was ridiculous. I mean, 
Idris Elba's the bad guy in that movie and he has superpowers essentially. So it knows what it was. It really is that buddy comedy, 48 hours. These two guys hate each other kind of movie and it really leaned into it. Uh, number six, I put Fast and Furious 6, which is still a pretty good movie. And it has, I think that's the one with the with the tank and the 26-mile-long runway and the airplane fight, which is rad as hell, but ridiculous. Number five, I have Too Fast, Too Furious, which you talked about here. I think underrated and very funny. Number four is Tokyo Drift, which I'm wondering if is still underrated because enough people have come out and said Tokyo Drift's legit. And even though Lucas Black is like 10 years too old to be playing a high schooler, uh, it was the last movie that really dedicated itself to being about racing and had racing built into the actual plot. Uh, And it's got some really good racing in it, like legit. And it also introduced us to Han. Uh, The top three, I have the original at number three, The Fast and the Furious. Furious 7 at number 2, which is maybe one of the most like emotionally, I don't know if cathartic is the word, but definitely an, an emotional movie and, and also pretty awesome. And then Fast 5 is number 1, which I think is not only regarded by us as maybe the best of the franchise, but also I think regarded by a lot of people as just like one of the best action movies made in the last 20 years or so. That's when it all came together. That's when they brought all the people together and the action sequences in that movie, whether it be the train heist, whether it be jumping off the ravine, whether it be, you know, dragging the, the, the safe through the, the, for, through Rio, incredible, incredible action filmmaking in fast five. So that's my ranking, but you told me, that you were a little surprised by like the, the critical rankings of the movies, right? Yeah. So real quick before I go into mine. So if you go to Rotten Tomatoes and, you know, we've we've talked plenty about pluses and minuses of of Rotten Tomatoes, but their top 10, if you go by critic score, number one is Furious 7. Number two, and I'm going top to bottom, sure. not bottom to top. Number one is Furious 7. Number two is Fast 5. Number three is Fast and the Furious 6. Number four is Hobbs and Shaw. (laughs) Number five is Fate of the Furious. Number six is F9. Number seven is the Fast and the Furious, the original. Number, what am I on? Seven? Uh, Eight. Eight. Fast and the Furious, Tokyo Drift, followed by Too Fast, Too Furious. And the bottom is... Uh, Fast and Furious. Yeah. Is what number in that? 10. 10. So, so a little interesting there. I think it plays into what we talked about in that it took four movies for them to kind of get like what this franchise is. Yeah. <laughs> and stop trying to judge it. I feel like up against maybe what they thought it should be. And more judge it on kind of like the entertainment factor and whether it works and some of those things, because obviously those rankings are a little ridiculous to me. Right. I don't necessarily disagree with the top two. I think seven and five can kind of be interchanged um, based That's off fair. of, off of uh, what you look for in it. But 
the the bottom are are pretty ridiculous. Having the original Too Fast and and Fast and the Furious is three of the bottom four is a little disrespectful. One of the few times, I mean, we talk about hindsight all the time and in hindsight, disrespectful. What's crazy to me is I feel like the audience scores on Rotten Tomatoes and granted we've talked about how those can be even more off than the critic scores. Yeah. But they're even more bonkers to me. Hobbs and Shaw is number one. That basically (laughs) screams to me. People love the rock and Jason Statham and damn right. That's all they care about, which Listen, you and I are, are here for uh, second was what we is F9. Third is Fast and the Furious six. Fourth is Fast Five. Fifth is Furious Seven. Sixth is the original. Uh, seven is the Fate of the Furious. Eight is Tokyo Drift or nine is Tokyo Drift. And, and the bottom is Fast and the Furious. I'm telling or you, no, nobody likes nine. Nine is Fast and the Furious. And actually, the lowest is too fast, too furious. So oh, how dare they? That's the bottom. That's actually the only one that's rotten with both critics and (laughs) audience. How dare they? I feel like that someone must have just had something out for it and gone and attacked. You and I, I'm going to buy you one of those West Coast chopper shirts that that Brian has. That's right. That's right. So (laughs) with that being said, my rankings for it, um, I actually, I don't think I'm that far off. Um what you had so 10th for me would be actually fate of the furious so okay. i i actually have it below uh fast and the furious the fourth movie and then i have f9 as number eight and then i have hobbs and shaw as number seven and then i have uh, Fast and the Furious 6 is 6, just like you. Nice. I have Too Fast and the Furious. Too Fast, Too Furious is 5. I have um, Tokyo Drift is 4. The original, uh, or actually I have, uh, yeah, the original is 3rd. I have Fast uh, Furious 7 as 2 and, okay. and 5 as the top. So I think you and I are same from 6. 6 up. to 1, yeah. But uh, a little bit different on our bottom ranking. So, well, that's okay. You know, and and the thing that I'll say, and you and I talked about this too. Fat uh, Furious Seven was the perfect ending to this franchise, in my opinion. Right. And whether you take the Paul Walker angle to it, and the fact that you know, obviously, he meant so much to this franchise, both actually in the filming you know, and what you saw on screen as well as obviously to the people in the, in the movie um, and all the actors and actresses and everybody a part of uh, the franchise, he meant a lot too. And so it seemed a little weird with like the perfect ending, whether it be the song, whether it be, you know, kind of that final scene that you have, like everything seemed absolutely perfect about it. And Like, I would have been fine with it ending there. As much as I love the Fast and the Furious franchise, I would have been fine with it there, or at least ending the Vin Diesel, Paul Walker crew's version of of Fast and the Furious. Had we split it off, even if we had, it would have switched over to the Tokyo Drift crew and and followed them and split off into that, and Dom could make a cameo, and you could bring people from this version of the franchise in for cameos here and there. Like I was okay moving on. And to me, when we got eight, it was like, all right, Paul Walker's gone. 
we're just going to go full James Bond on it. And I yeah. think the reason why eight is my least favorite. And I, I know even on the poster, cause I was looking through the posters. One of the posters says family, no more. And that's eight. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. And the reason why that's my least favorite is it's such a departure from everything we talk about with these movies. Like I honestly, you know, and I'm sure that was the point of it, but like Dom's not, not going to to turn his back or, or go that route. And it was such a weird pivot combined with we're going full on James Bond now. Right. Like it was just a weird kind of jarring effect of what we've come to know of these films. And then I felt like F9 just kind of continued that on, but tried to really hone back into the family after having Dom go against the family. It's tough. And with what we know from Hobbs and Shaw, it's just gotten really messy. And so I was hoping F9 would bring us back in and instead it's brought us further out. <laughs> yeah, it's it's tough because like, again, you, you don't have Paul Walker and the first movie without Paul Walker has Dom behaving in a way that would unequivocally bring Brian back into the mix and they can't do it. It's tough. It's, it's still a franchise I'm going to be here for. I still had a great time with it, but absolutely. It's definitely feels like it's a different franchise and I'm, I'm fine with it. So with all that being said, let's give our popcorn ratings for F nine, the fast saga. What's that noise? Popcorn. You're making popcorn? Uh-huh. I only eat popcorn at the movies. Now, if you've never listened to an episode before, we do our ratings a little bit differently. Instead of stars or thumbs up, we have our popcorn ratings. Burnt popcorn means it's garbage. Don't waste your time. Don't go see it. Stale popcorn means if you, if you have to, you could do worse, but maybe don't pay any money for it. It's not going to be great. Microwave popcorn is in the middle. It's fine. Some people love it. Some people don't love it. Your mileage may vary with microwave popcorn. Movie theater popcorn means you should probably go see this in a movie theater. You should go see it on the big screen at some point in time. And then perfect popcorn is go out and see this movie as soon as possible on the biggest screen that you can. So, David, what's your popcorn rating for F9? I... I'm giving it and this one was a tough one for me because I love this franchise but yes do it it's been it was a mess for me and and part of it may have been watching it late at night but at the same time like even as I've sat here and and kind of you know almost had a week to dwell on it it still feels like a mess to me and so I think I'm going to have to go. I'm going to have to go microwave popcorn and a soda. Okay. I kind of so thought that's what you were going to go. Just, just below movie theater popcorn. I'm giving it movie theater popcorn. I think, and I'm trying to take all context out of it because right now every movie is perfect popcorn. Go to the movies, go to the movie theaters as soon Absolutely. as you can take your people to go see the movies, go see this shit on IMAX. Cause it's awesome. Um, but like, realistically, it, for me, it's movie theater popcorn. I had a great time. I was not disappointed. I was happy to be along for the ride. And yet I, you know, look like even just like objectively, I can agree that there's a lot going on um, and the franchise is going in different directions. 
but yeah, movie theater popcorn for us. So we got to talk a little bit of spoilers. But before we do, we're going to take a quick break. What's up, good movie buddies? Before we continue, I want to remind everyone that you can get free episodes of The Popcorn Diet delivered to you just by hitting the subscribe button or following us wherever you're listening from. So take a second, hit the button, give us a rating, write us a review, share us with the other good movie buddies out there. We also want to remind you to check us out on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash the popcorn diet and consider Becoming a patron of this little independent movie podcast filled with love. Not only is it going to help us improve the podcast, keep the podcast going, but it's also going to give you exclusive patron-only access to things like early episodes, franchise refills episodes, and more. So check that out by going to patreon.com slash thepopcorndiet. Of course, we don't want you to forget that you can also follow us on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, at The Popcorn Diet. And last but certainly not least, you can find all of our latest regular episodes, articles, and more on our website, popcorndietpodcast.com. Let's get back to it. All right, David, we're back. We're back for spoilers. I mean, this is kind of your... I got a few things listed out, you know, that we can kind of use as a guide. We've already gone pretty long as it is. Um, then again, that's most of these movies are pretty long as it is. So as long as we aren't as long as the movie itself, I think we're okay. But, you know, you brought up how Fate of the Furious used the phrase family no more, mm-hmm. you know, and and this movie, it it's funny. I said it in our intro. This movie started with I live my life quarter mile at a time. Right. Like a guy mm-hmm. who literally does not plan ahead, who does not have anything he loves that he can't drop. And now it's you don't turn your back on family. Right. And yet this movie kind of makes it seem like like Dom's kind of a like narcissistic son of a bitch when it comes to, how you know, who who uh, is family and how you treat family. And that's pretty loosely defined, you know, like we said. As somebody who has experienced family strife, it's pretty easy to not mention family members when you don't want to. That being said, the fact that him and Mia never once mentioned their brother ever mm. in 20 years is pretty suspect. Uh, the movie literally opens with him pulling a gun on Roman and Tej and Ramsey and never apologizing, like looking angry that they're there. You know, he yeah. just leaves his kid. You know, it's 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 just funny. It's it's really interesting the balance they try to, to to have because you know Michelle Rodriguez is like, oh, this isn't us. We gotta go do daredevil shit. But like you have a kid now, man, you know, and it's 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 interesting. How did you feel about that? How did you feel about family and the whole brother flashbacks and things like that? Yeah, I well, let's see. I could get nitpicky and the fact that, you know, there's there's little things and I could be petty and talk about things like for some reason they went out of their way to make uh, Jacob noticeably smaller than Dom in the flashbacks. But then you can't really hide the fact that John Cena is a much bigger man than Dom. And so which is funny because he's only an inch taller, according to the Internet. Yeah, which is interesting because he looks like six inches taller than him in the movie. So 
And if they really are that close, and listen, Vince put on a little bit of pudge, um, which is fine. He's 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 earned it. He's not he's not quite as cut as he was in the original films. But he's also twenty years <laughs> older, so it would be expected. And Cena's, you know, I wouldn't put him quite in the rocks category, but he's in peak physical form. So, you know, he's going to look a little bit more imposing than than Vin in, in general. But it was funny to me that they almost seemed to like go out of their way with their casting to to have that big difference. But they're also like they seem like what age would you say when that happened? Do we know that? I don't know that we know that from the I don't film. know that we know that, but I would say like teenagers, late teenagers, right? At l- worst, late teens, early 20s at, at the most, I think would be my guess. I mean, he's yeah. got to be close to he's got to be 18 or very close to it at a minimum. Dom does because well, Vin was 33 when the first movie was made. Yeah. So there's that. Well, and, you know, he goes to San Quentin and I don't think they'd send like a 16 year old to San Quentin. So no. or wherever they sent him to. I wonder uh, if it's in the like the the, the fandom wiki. But regardless, you, you keep talking. I, I'll see I, if I, I can find I some info. I don't need to go down that <laughs> rabbit hole. But regardless. You know, so there's there's that aspect. There's the aspect that. You know, we've heard this story about his dad and what got him sent to prison and yet we haven't heard anything about the brother or anything like that. So there's just some interesting things about that. There's also obviously the whole concept of how his brother randomly becomes a spy after being like basically orphaned and staying with like a random mechanic junkie yeah. that was on his dad's crew so to getting recruited <laughs> by Mr. Nobody and, and supposedly becoming some super spy. Uh, so I, I'll just tell you right now, it says Toretto was born in 76 and he got out of prison in 91. That means he was 23 when he went in, 23 when he went in and 25 when he got out. That's yes. that seems about right. And, you know, we're saying little brother maybe is 18, 19. Like you don't really have that massive of growth spurts typically that late in life. But wait a minute. Regardless. Is that math right? No. Hold on. Keep going. This is 76, bad podcasting. 76 to 93, you said? 76 to 91. 91? Oh, that's uh, that's only 15 years. That's though. Well, that's completely incorrect then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fandom. They, Fandom Wikipedia, I, get, get your shit together. He, he would be in juvie, not uh, even, even with that. Maybe you get tried as an adult. but Yeah doubtful and uh, that that ain't no 15 year old in in those no, flashback no, scenes no it is not no, no it is not uh, regardless like i said i can look past some of these things and be nitpicky but like it's something that when they all start stacking up and i think we talked about this in another film um where it's like it's one thing if you're making me take the leap in one thing but when you make me take the leap in like every couple seconds i'm having to to accept a giant leap because um, so so even, even, the, even the concept of family like sorry to keep going on this, no no but, you're fine but like mr nobody like if dom's really in hiding and not wanting to come out how does everybody suddenly have this huge connection to nobody 
and feel like they need to go save him. Like, right. Michelle Rodriguez, Letty's character seems like she's just itching for like action, but everybody else feels like they owe something. Is it is seems it, like they're feeling like they owe something to because we're not quite in that character where like these are like heroes that get called upon by the government right. to save the world. Like it's not that situation because technically they're kind of still outlaws. But is it well, no, they got they got they got I think by the by the end of yeah, but what they, about all the but what got, about all the laws they broke post their pardon? They got their records expunged. Number one, number two, they're working for the government, man. They're there. They could do whatever they want. Number three, I thought it was less about the fact that Mr. Nobody was missing and more about the fact that Cypher, who stepped up to him in Fate of the Furious and killed Dom's baby's mom is loose and we got to do something about this. You know, that that's, that's how I read it. But again, it makes sense. Like what loyal, like we're just a bunch of street racers. What loyalty do we have being, you know, mercenaries for a government agent? Yeah. Uh, I mean, and, and speaking of mercenaries for a government agent and speaking of asking you to suspend disbelief, Han returns. Han returns. Now, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, I mean, part of the thing with Han is, like I was mentioning earlier in the podcast about the fan services, there's been this quelling ever since, I would say, I mean, it's been since Tokyo Drift to some degree and how much people got attached to him in that film. And then well, Han's cool. Like Han Han is arguably the literal coolest character in the entire franchise. Absolutely. And then going backwards and letting him be in the next three movies by adjusting the timeline to allow him to be in there. But then I feel like it got noisiest when Hobbs and Shaw came out. Right. And here you have the character that we've been told killed Han. Right. That is suddenly okay with everybody just because he helps him out with some things. He helps him. He helps him save Dom's son, which is a, not insignificant gesture. Sure. But I think everybody just felt like you're doing Han dirty, being okay with the person who literally killed him. Like if somebody like, killed me, if somebody killed me, but then helped save James from a psychopath. Sure. And was like, he is your son. Family's important. Wouldn't you be like, okay. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I would still have issues with said person. So I get the outroar about that. And Absolutely. I think maybe they took it a little too far, inviting him to the barbecue, all that good stuff. But at the same time, to force him back in there after you've already ret, not retcon, but adjusted the timeline to get Han in three more movies, to feel the need to put him in there and then to do it in such a messy way, like, We've now seen three different versions of the end scene. Well, pretty much the end scene, the climactic scene of Tokyo Drift. Right. Well, it's in the middle of Tokyo Drift. It's at the end of six and the beginning of seven. And now we see it again here. Yes. So we've seen this four times over the course of movies. And we've had three different versions of it. Obviously the end of six and the start of seven were the same version, right? But the end of Tokyo drift and this one are different and I need to watch it again 
But I felt like even when they were doing the flashback, they did almost like the ghost thing where it's like he's in the car and then it disappears and he's standing behind a building. Yes. And it's like, wait a second. Like, I don't, I, I still don't get this. Like Han's explanation of like, Mr. Nobody worked his magic. Yes. And we literally see what appears to be magic on screen. I, I had a hard time with it. It just felt like to me, like this was a distraction that we didn't need. Like we, we brought back Jordana Brewster and turned her into some amazing fighter when she's kicking ass thus, suddenly thus far in this franchise, she's kind of been a hands-off like supportive type of character. Right. And all of a sudden we turn her into basically Letty 2.0 and we add in the Han dynamic where it's like, and, and the funny thing is at the end in the, in the stinger at the end, we're apparently going to get more Han story right? because we see him knocking on Jason Statham's door and we don't know whether he's knocking on Jason Statham's door to, to be like, beat the crap out of him, I was dead <laughs> to beat the crap out of him or, or get his revenge. So, or maybe we're to find out that they were both in on it and we're going to retcon some more stuff. <laughs> so I have three, I have three notes in this regard. Number one, as, as fans of heist movies, and particularly Fast Five, now you see me, any of these movies, the prestige, any of these movies, they actually show you how it's done. They show you, oh, we switched with this truck, we slid the, the, the vault in here, and we grabbed the other vault as we were going. We did all that, right? They show you the work. They show you how it's done. This doesn't do it. It literally says what you said, where Han's in the car and Shaw walks in front of him and he's there. And then like a like a like a, a swipe effect, suddenly Han's gone. OK, so we're led to assume, I guess, that somebody dragged him out of the car like nobody dragged him. Out. I don't I literally don't know. It doesn't make but any logistical the crazy, sense. Right. The crazy part about that is he's standing off in the shadows with nobody like without a scratch on him looking like he was never in the car to begin with. Exactly. So, so somehow number two, in that chase, did we swap him out of the car in the middle of the chase that we didn't see in Tokyo Drift? So number two, the movie posits that uh, Deckard Shaw, Jason Statham, didn't know he was a pawn to fake Han's death. The movie posits that Deckard Shaw was legitimately trying to kill Han. And that has not changed. Nobody said Deckard Shaw was in on it. Even at the end, Shaw's like surprised to see Han. Like he, he said, oh, I've killed Han. I've got to make stuff up. I got to make up for things in my past and all that stuff. Right. That's a terrible plan. It is it, undisputedly a terrible plan to get a pissed off super soldier to actually try and kill Han. But then like, oh, oh, he doesn't he doesn't really kill Han like that's a terrible plan with like a 95% fail rate <laughs> number three despite all of that when Kurt Russell's standing there and he's like I'm gonna take care of it I freaking believe him <laughs> the movie tells me Kurt Russell did some magic stuff to make me alive and I'm like okay it's Kurt Russell like cool man he's wearing a suit he's wearing his shades he's awesome as hell I'll go with you, whatever, even though it doesn't make a lick of sense, even though they never actually show the, 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 the actual action 
of Han being removed from the car in some way, shape or form. You know, when Nick Fury got flipped over in the Winter Soldier, they show him with basically a lightsaber, cut a hole through the roof of the car, through the street, into the sewers. And as ridiculous as that was, they at least showed it. Well, and the thing is, too, like now we're also to believe that the entire Tokyo Drift movie, he was protecting some little girl. He's protecting this girl, L. While doing all the stuff that we saw in the Tokyo Drift. And so it's like it's one of those after, things where it's like after Tokyo Drift, after he had died is when he. Oh, that's right. That's when he L. starts going. He had the freedom. But man, I mean, and then there's that scene. And I know you claim you think he only got shot like once. Yeah. But and granted, I was watching it at near midnight that point, because <laughs> let's not forget this movie was two hours and 25 minutes long. It's very long. And still had a lot of not enough time to show us their work. And <laughs> to me, I felt like in that scene, I saw him get shot multiple times and basically be bleeding out on the floor, reaching out to the little girl in the scene. Maybe I interpreted it wrong. I probably need to watch it. Regardless, he seems to be shot multiple times. And so we overcome that to some degree. And then it's like, we need a know. lunchtime viewing when you're fully. Uh, there's engaged. also that there, there's also that aspect of. OK. Nobody's allowed. All this anger and things to go on just to keep. Han a secret right because he's protecting a girl who has the dna to trigger a macguffin yep and we kind of know where the two pieces are like there's just a lot going on the, here the biometrics of aries which actually let me just list off the macguffins ever since we went because fast five was a heist movie fast five is like we're a bunch of criminals we're wanted in a bunch of states. Let's steal a shitload of money so we can live comfortably off the grid, right? That was the last of like the we're criminals movies. Ever since then, it's been a MacGuffin every movie. In number six, it was the nightshade device, which was a mil uh, described as a military grade weapon, which is basically an EMP, can shut everything down, right? Number, number Furious 7 was God's Eye which is software that is able to track down any person in the world using digital devices, whether it be voice, whether it be cameras or whatever. In Fate of the Furious, it was a combo of things. It was Cypher using an EMP to get God's eye so that she could get a nuclear submarine and start a war. So again, some real James Bond shit. In Hobbs and Shaw, it was the snowflake which is a virus to kill a ton of people. And in F9, it's Ares, which essentially allows the holder to hack into any computer weapon system. You know, I just, I, I, I remember Mission Impossible 3 when it was, where is the rabbit's foot? And it never mattered what the rabbit's foot was. It was never described what the rabbit's foot was because the MacGuffin doesn't matter. And that I think might be one of the smartest uses of a MacGuffin ever. But this is all about that. We have just become MacGuffin apocalypse <laughs> in Fast and Furious. Um, it's crazy. So let's let's wrap this up. And like 
I just wanted to go over some of the craziest, like what you thought was some of the craziest stuff in the film. I have a list. Um, and it goes without saying, like the car, the car sequences are crazy, you know, the, the, but, and yet I still kind of buy it. Like I still kind of buy the fact that Dominic Toretto, who I just am along for the journey to say this guy when he is behind anything with wheels is unstoppable. He is like, he's like bullseye in, in daredevil where he can throw anything and it kill you with throwing anything. Right. You put Dom behind a car and he's unbeatable, right? You put him in a car and he's unbeatable. So I buy that he can drive into the wire of a suspension bridge, yank his wheel to lock that end of the suspension bridge, use it to swing across the other edge of the ravine. And I buy that because they crash at the other edge of the ravine. They don't land and keep driving like he does with the big damn truck at the end of the movie, where I was like, okay. (laughs) There were certain things like I thought, and again, I think one thing we didn't, we talked about a little bit at the very beginning there are parts of this movie where they are clearly doing in-camera physical car stunts that are incredible. The, the way that they pulled off some of the magnet stuff practically is awesome. And when they are driving through that landmine and they are literally blowing trucks up and over other cars, awesome, awesome action in the movie, but insane. Mm-hmm. Um. What were some of your favorite crazy parts of the movie? I mean, we didn't even talk about space. They finally went to space in a Pontiac Fiero. They did. So <laughs> we, we got kind of the, again, that was another kind of like, it felt like the makers of this movie were reading Twitter from the standpoint of, it felt like everybody joked, like almost in a mocking way, like, what can they do next? This franchise is getting so ridiculous. Are they going to go to space next? And so it felt like they were like, we need to find a way to go to space just so everybody will be like, they actually did it <laughs> to some degree. Like, I don't think we're going to further double down on, on, uh, <laughs> on going to space the next movie as well. But who knows? Yeah. Maybe we will. Well, remember... Um, they they were only in they were only in low orbit. They didn't to quote Owen Wilson and Armageddon. They had didn't even get to outer space yet. Sure, sure. But regardless, uh, so there's that aspect. You know, the magnets were obviously I think one of the biggest investments from a special effects standpoint. You know, obviously you have that opening set piece, which is is very memorable with the crazy amount of military people popping out of nowhere yeah, and that the climactic part being the bridge swing that you've talked about already. But I think the other one would be the use of those magnets because it's a pretty long set piece where we have that whole sequence go down. And, you know, I think the biggest question that you have to ask it is if I'm driving a metal car and I'm literally yanking cars across streets through buildings. How does said magnet not like completely cause my car to 
squeeze in on itself. Like, am I, dri- am I driving a plastic car at some point? And if that's the case, then how am I not getting smashed by these cars that are coming at me in a high velocity and crashing into me? So anyways, regardless, again, it's, I equate it to a Bond movie. We've talked about this already, and I'm not yeah. going to beat it as far as like, you know, that's not probable. We're watching a movie at this point that, that has done plenty of things, starting with its beginning movie that did plenty of ridiculous things itself. So, yeah, I'm not going to beat it up too much, but I did enjoy it. Like whether it's ridiculous or not, I thought those scenes were fun. Yes. Um, I do think it's, you know, a trademark of movies like this where you have a character that's a bad guy for a long time and then like one thing changes and suddenly they flip to being a good guy. They don't even every- wait to the next movie in this one. They and just, everybody's they just okay it. with it. Yeah. <laughs> like, I guess because he's family, we're going to go back to that. Well, and say he's family, he's you family. know, I didn't handle it well then. So we'll just let bygones be guy. Bygones. I was into but- it though. I was into it though. When John Cena comes back in the orange car and he gets on the radio, he's like, Oh, he can't hold it. And John Cena's like, I can. And comes like drifting in. I'm like, damn, Fast 9, you got me again. That's rad as hell. (laughs) Absolutely. So, anyways. I do want to say one last thing, which is credit where credit's due. There were not one, but two actual races in this movie about street racers. Mm -hmm. The first was NASCAR-style race, but the second was the street race, the Loser Leaves Town street race between Dom and Jacob. Where uh, just the classic move of using the NOS too early, too soon, Junior. Uh, And so, like, again, credit where credit's due. The Fate of the Furious had the race in Cuba. And this movie still is like, we got to have a street race. And I respect that. I respect (laughs) that they still are having street races. Like, and and emotionally pivotal street races, too. I love it. I love it. I'm into it. Um, we could probably spend 20 more minutes, 30 more minutes, 40 more minutes talking about where this franchise is going to go. But I will leave you with one final question. Are you in for whatever Fast 10 is? Of course I am. And obviously, you know, Dom and uh, or uh, Dom, Vin and Justin Lin have talked about how they already know how they're going to end this franchise. And so there's I both am excited about it as well as like interested to see like a little nervous like vin is great at a lot of things and i i'm probably a bigger vin fan than i would say the average person but some of the messiness of this franchise i feel like i gotta equate to some to vin because it feels like he has such control over the direction of this franchise yeah like it's hard to not look at him for anything that goes awry because like if you're going to get all the credit then you got to take all of the blame as well exactly so i'm a little nervous because i don't again i don't know that there's a better ending to this franchise than what we've already been given and so i don't know how you top that and so i get that he's got something that he's visioning and i'm here for it and I will ride it out till the end. No pun intended. Ride no or die. Intended. And uh, listen, I'm I'm of the type, and I said it earlier, like I would be fine if they split this off into a new franchise and had new people. Like I'm not so adverse to this 
continuing on, I we've talked about our love of Tokyo Drift. Like, absolutely fine, bringing those guys back. They're talking okay. about doing an all female movie. I'm in. Give me, give me Letty and Mia and Ramsey and L and and going up again and freaking, you know, uh, freaking Helen Mirren and freaking mm-hmm. Vanessa Kirby and go get, go get. I mean, who's big right now? Go bring ScarJo in. Go get Cardi B again. I don't give a shit. I'll be there. <laughs> I'm in. I'm in on whatever it is. Um, Fast and Furious, man. Movies are back, and with movies means Fast and Furious. And I'm still living my life a quarter mile at the time. But you never turn your back on family. Uh, with all that being said, before we wrap up, I want to remind everyone again that you can get free episodes of the Popcorn Diet just by hitting subscribe or hitting that follow button. So take a second, hit the button, give us a rating, write us a review, share us with your other good movie buddies wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, don't forget to check us out on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash the popcorn diet and consider becoming a, a patron of an independent film podcast when films are back on the rise. That's patreon.com slash the popcorn diet of course we don't want you to forget that you can follow us on facebook on twitter on instagram at the popcorn diet and last but certainly not least you can find all of our latest regular episodes articles and more on our website popcorndietpodcast.com but for the canadian machine mr david melhorn i am your very best good movie buddy rick williamson and we'll see you next time with another good movie on the popcorn diet adios